Hello, this is Melissa, and it's Real History. Today is Thursday, June 22, 2023. I'm joined by Darren from South Africa, and we had a couple of topics that we wanted to speak about in particular, so we'll get underway. Hi, Darren. Hi, Melissa. It's good to chat again. It is good to talk. I understand that you've been well. Carrying on, despite the sort of pall of doom that's hanging over the globe, mm-hmm. we, that we carry on, you know. Yes. You mentioned something, I don't know if you want to talk about it or not, but you just mentioned having reached a point where you're a little bit just, uh, <laughs> I don't know, um, <laughs> with everything, just kind of, eh. It's, it's a case of the, we've had three years of the most ridiculous new reality thrown at us. And we've seen how everyone around us has responded to it. And it's been an enormous disappointment. And that's an understatement. So the people that you, you know, you go to work and you, you have to deal with people that you, I suppose, I shouldn't say it, but it's hard to respect certain views. The way that people capitulated to being dictated to like children and enforcing the ridiculous upon other people, even though many did realize that it was nonsense, they didn't speak up. They kept quiet. Either they were afraid or too polite or just profit, you know, just profiteering off of a scenario. But either or, it's I found it personally disgusting. So I suppose I've got an, a bit of an existential crisis on my hands where... I have to reconsider my future and how I put money in my pocket. So every once in a while, the dark thought hits you when you in your bed at night. But then two days later, you're fine again, you know, and carrying on. Mm-hmm. I think that yeah. the elaboration that you provided was good, but you also could have said in terms of the crisis that you were going through, you could have just said, I go to work. And I have to deal with people. <laughs> that's, uh, 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 that's it. And I'm in a people-related um, business. <laughs> I can do that quite well. On, on a personable level, it's fine. But it's hard to forget what happened the last three years. Uh, I can't unwind it. I can't forget it. And my, my view, my opinion that I have for people has shifted strongly in the negative I think one of the things that some of us have, you know, talked about in the past, and we, we've talked about the idea that this, we're just warming up for mm. where we're supposed to be going, how the agenda is going to roll out. The last three years, as horrible as they were with fallout still all around us, this seems mm. to be a warm up. And so that part of your brain that is aware if you think that you are getting some kind of sustenance from other humans in your interaction and you've mm. been bitterly disappointed, then that's kind of nagging at the back of your head. Okay, round two's coming up, and I learned in mm. round one that I can't really count on my fellow human beings too much. It's very, very real. It's It, it, it doesn't matter how long you consider yourself to to be in the know or awake 
or whatever term you like to use, how you deal with what's coming up or what could come up, it's daunting. It's, uh, you still have to dig deep into your reserves. They say ignorance is bliss, but when things really start to hit the proverbial fan, I think to some degree being aware of things could help if you're wise. But if you haven't fortified your, your heart, I don't think you're better off. So we need to look within and, and do work. If we know we've got work to do in that regard, we need to do it. And do it quite quickly too. It yes. looks like this decade, this is the decade of big, big changes. Yes. Mm. I, you know, I, I really had that, I, for me personally, at the very beginning of 2020, when Alan and I were coming to an understanding of what was happening, even before we knew what was happening, we knew that something mm. was happening, something yeah. very big. And what you're talking about, looking within, getting into your own heart and so forth, from the very beginning, I had to have a talking to with myself where mm. I, yes, I, I did. And I, I, I didn't want to put that on Alan either, but what... What I became aware of internally was that this, this was it, the beginning of 2020. This was it. And I just mm. said to myself, the thing, what is happening right now and will continue is so much bigger than me. Exactly. Mm. And I have to get so far beyond me that I don't even see myself in the distance anymore. And I've I tried to main, yeah, I've tried to maintain that since then, and I, I do think that it, it, that fortified me for what I had, for the speed with at which Alan and I were working from mm. the beginning of 2020 until he passed away, and and mm. I've tried to maintain, you know, I've I've tried to go through my own personal grief and process, but maintain that commitment to leaving myself far far behind because we're in it exactly and if you allow yourself to be wrapped up in um, self what's the word to feel sorry for yourself and the situation that you're in you can just let that it can just circulate round and round in your head until you're no good to anyone or yourself mm -hmm. so you have to as you say get away from yourself and manage manage yourself properly Yes, because there, I, you, I could see it in people all around me, people close to me and people that I had mm. never met or people that I only had an awareness from reading about them online or whatever. There seemed to be a crossroad that people who saw what was happening, even if they didn't get the whole background or whatever, they saw something mm. bad happening. They arrived yes. at the fork of, <clears throat> in the road, and the fork in the road said, hunker down, uh get your supplies going, et cetera, et cetera. And the other side of the fork said, put yourself out. Put mm -hmm. yourself out to, to see what you can do for other people, to see how you can bring this awareness of what is happening to other people. It was a, a fork in the road, those who oh, quite yeah. naturally, yeah. I'm, I'm not making a judgment. It is quite uh, human nature and a very worthy thing to want to take care of yourself and the people that you love, those nearest and dearest to you. There, There's no 
it's not a judgment. Mm. But I Perfect was with Alan. Yeah, it is natural. I, I, I saw where he had turned at the fork in the road, and I wanted to just continue to keep going in that direction, and that's that simple. Yeah, I've, 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 I've thought it through, and I'm willing. I know by, in principle I'm very, very willing. I'm quite, I'm quite determined, if, if need be, uh, to lose everything if I have to. But then once you've lost everything, then what? You, know? <laughs> you still have to survive. So I don't want to be pushed around by a, a tyrannical state or people losing their minds and going mad. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to be deterred. I'm going to stick to my integrity or to what I know is right. Hello, high water. It's something that I've personally am willing to, I'm willing to go that far. But I know it's going to be very, very difficult if it does. That I is, suffer no illusions. That, that's um, part of the journey though, where you say you're willing to give mm. up everything, but then what? I think the, the, the journey, if you want to factor in, for lack of a better word, that it's a spiritual mm. journey that we're on here, then that willingness mm. to let go of everything, it seems what comes along with that. I'm not talking about some new age idea of, or even a Christian idea of your needs will be met, but yeah. the willingness to let go is the beginning of that part of the journey. What happens next and the fact that we live actually, with, we don't know, we, we don't know. That's part of the, the trip. It's, it's quite a tricky thing because it depends on how things unfold. You will, you could face a situation where you will just be let go. You will be without a job, kicked out of your work, depending on your situation. Or even more difficult, you might have to make that determination yourself and know when to leave or know when to get out and it's that self-preservation that you wrestle with you know if I just stick around then I could make it I could be fine but everything else is screaming at you get out now get away <laughs> you need to know when to act so that that little scenario plays it plays on my mind How, when it comes to making that decision will I do it properly Mm-hmm. Well, it, I, I think that, that you are having the conversation now bodes well for mm. what you'll do when you actually have to make the decision. Yeah, it, it gives you that little exis, exis, existential crisis. I think we all, we all have it now and again when you self-reflect and you think about the future. And the future for everyone, uh, you can see it in the air. You can, you can see it in people's eyes, their body language. They, they have that thousand-yard stare. It's future uncertain, and if you, if if the future is uncertain, it creates anxiety. You start f fishing around in your mind. What do I do? What will I do? I think it's different in different areas. I, if I just think of the situation in my country, we've got a thirty, almost a thirty-three percent unemployment rate. You don't want to lose your job. The chances of picking up a a job they just aren't there. So there's that aspect. There's no social welfare net here. If you lose your job and you haven't got private insurance, you're one, one or two months away from dire straits. We so. wanted to segue into mm. some 
big issues in South Africa right now. And I mm. think that this is a good place when you talk about em- unemployment that's over 30%. Um, th- this is something that, this is bad. <laughs> it's, it's a shocker. And in my province, in some parts of the province, the unemployment is up to 70%. And uh, that will segue into what we were going to cover when it comes to crime. Mm-hmm. It's a big, big issue in this country, and I'd like to address farm murders. I'd like to try and cover the topic of farm murders with you in a way that is balanced, because it's terrible. There's a lot of different opinion from different interest groups regarding the truth behind the claims made about farm murders. And there are a lot of expats who leave the country who say a lot of things about the state of the country, which are, they are true, but it's the context. Because if you speak to some people that you might meet a South African or two overseas in your country that will make the country sound like there's a full-on civil war in the streets by the sound of it, you know. they can. It's quite often you will hear a South African ex- exaggerate things. So we've got a sky-high crime rate. We are the, I think, the murder and rape capital of the world. We we are sort of juggling with one or two position, first or second place with Colombia, you know, or Mexico or those kind of places. And we've got the most unbelievable corruption in, in government. Once that's all said and done, if you take the murder rate, just to put things into perspective, I don't know what stats you've seen, Melissa, but it's like 25,000 a year, 20,000 a year. I think it's gone down a bit to 17, maybe. I could be wrong. The last um, statistic that I hmm. saw said that you had an average rate of 20,000 total murders a year, which is incredibly high. It is incredibly high. but Especially if it's gone down. Yes, but think about it. You've got a population of about 60 million, 55 official, but you've probably got about 60 to 62 million people in the country, maybe even more. If you work that in as, as, a, as a statistic, as a, as a chance, it's still very, 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 very low as, as, as a percentage. And then you have to take into account that it's the same in every country. Your bigger city centers in certain parts of the country are going to be high crime areas and all the way down to certain leafy green suburbs where nothing ever happens. So what I wanted to say right from the outset is that if you want to come and visit the country, please come. You are probably going to be, if you stick to just ordinary old normal places and go to the the normal sort of popular spots and stick to use your common sense, you're probably going to be as safe here as you are where you live. It's just that, you know, the total picture, there is still a horrible crime here, though. But the farm murders, although crime affects black and white, it actually affects far more black people than white people. But there is a special mention to make for farm murders. And I'd like to talk a little bit about the types of farm attacks you get because I think that part of the problem is general crime and then I also think that there is a, the farmers are special targets. So to start off with crime, there's a huge 
portion of a population historically that have been, they were under apartheid, second rate, you know, citizens as a sense. They didn't have all the rights. Even if they were employed with a skilled trade, they couldn't earn, under apartheid, they couldn't earn what was due to them as a holder of a particular trade. They couldn't negotiate for higher wages. The apartheid system was disgusting and everyone who is sensible can recognize that. And the legacy of apartheid is an entire generation of people that never got a decent education who remained illiterate. And even up until this day, there are many people who can't afford to get a decent education. So you have huge unemployment, and that unemployment is exacerbated in that South Africa is a, I think it might be the most it might be the wealthiest or the second wealthiest economy in Africa. So, you know, everywhere up north is not doing that well either. So South Africa is a hotspot for immigrants, economic immigrants. Just up north, Zimbabwe collapsed. The economy collapsed horribly. So there was a huge influx of Zimbabweans. But you have Malawians. You have all over Africa. You even have people from as far as the northern tip of Africa, uh, Algeria. You have a, a lot of Muslim people coming down here to, to make a living. So there's a huge influx of, of people competing for only so many jobs to go around. And you're bound to get crime. So in the townships, um, in, the, in, the, in the busy city, city centers, crime is just shocking. And it filters through to the green leafy neighborhoods. It goes through into the more just out of town, the rural areas. And it'll even occur on farms. So to some degree, when you read on Wikipedia that farm attacks are registered as crimes, there's a truth to that. But there's also a severe understatement where the ruling party, the ANC government, is also purposefully underplaying and denying the other aspect of farm murders that are far more sinister and far more, you can see there's a definite purpose behind these farm murders that goes beyond just crime. And on one level, it makes the ANC look bad. It's a, it's a big stain on the country that the nature of these attacks are so sickening, so disgusting. They are based, there's a, there's a deep, deep racist hatred of the victim. The people are tortured to death, disfigured, and there's an outcry because when people are experiencing this kind of disproportionate crime, because think about it, these farms are hard to get to. They out in the countryside. Special effort has to be made to target these these farms. Now, some of these farms have CCTV systems, and what has been caught on on these CCTV systems is that they have seen people dressed in military fatigues, sort of camouflage, not true military, but these people are very very well equipped. Some of these farm attacks have had 
you can see these people carrying sophisticated cell phone blocking technology. It's a special pack, uh, which I think can only be acquired militarily or stolen. But, you know, they will go at night. They will have this equipment where the farmer cannot communicate out. And that equipment is very expensive and it's something that shows a a very, very high degree of planning. And that's not just crime. That, that, that really is not crime. That, that, that is assassination. There and, is something uh, else, too, that I, I want to mention. Mm. When, we, you, when you and I said uh, earlier, mm. before we started to record, what we were talking about and just going over a couple mm. of yeah. articles that I had written recently, you said, I don't want to actually describe any one of these crimes because they are so horrific that someone that you wouldn't be believed or someone would say that you were sadistically making this up and i mm. agreed with you we don't want anyone who is interested in finding out specific stories even though a lot of this is being suppressed there is enough there there's a little bit of detail you can get the idea and i mm. the these stories are so graphic and horrifying i i simply don't want to implant those into somebody's mind in a visually graphic way. The, the, the gist of what many South Africans are trying to do, though, they are reaching, they're trying to reach overseas interest groups, and the South African government is playing it down. It's, 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 it's become so bad that the... Uh, there are groups within South Africa that are trying to appeal to various governments around the world and to the United Nations. And all we get is radio silence because the only way that people feel that they can do something about this crime um, and about these targeted attacks on farms is to, is to appeal to the UN and other foreign governments who are interested to Put the pressure on the ANC to actually, to, dis- to you know, to voice their disapproval, but yet we hear nothing. It, it, it's 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 stunning because during apartheid, South Africa was a pariah state. Um, the ruling party of, of of the time, the national party that ran the apartheid system, was condemned by the world. South Africa was a pariah state. The, the sanctions were on. There were international sanctions against the country. And the ruling party, the, the, the ruling national party of the South African government was penalized. And the pressure was on until something was done. And the ANC have, or the, the global capitalist government, if you want, that's running this world, has turned a blind eye to the sins of the ANC. So when you hear people appealing to outsiders, they're not exaggerating. They're not uh, making things up. There is a very, very real situation going on in South Africa that I think people in the outside world need to pay attention to because I think because we're living in a globalist setup now, the information that people are receiving about South Africa, the international media... You know, the AP, the Reuters, they 
play the, the globalist spiel. So if people try and speak out against and, and bring light to the, the situation of the farmers in this country, they are assumed. I don't know what the, uh, what the, the media in your country is saying, but I know the general message is that we are, the farmers must be racist, right wing, um, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Melissa? The uh, populists or just right-wing nationalists, um, white nationalists, nationalists or, yeah. or white supremacists, mm-hmm. and they deserve what they're getting and all that kind of thing. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the the news sources overseas are also giving the impression that things aren't as bad as these white racists are claiming claiming that they are. <laughs> Well, this, the, the, this, uh, there's a delicate balance here in that you and I are white and we are talking are about, uh, we are talking about a type of crime that is so horrific that is disproportionately carried out on white farmers. However, many of the victims too are black farm workers that, that is true. That now, are caught and, in this. Yeah, but, uh, in the cities, the overwhelming majority of people affected murdered raped affected by crime are black and anyone that wants to put a word out to try and get an international awareness towards the you could call it the crimes of the ANC I I think that they should be mentioning this as well because I think just making it about white farmers especially in this this modern politically correct world that doesn't quite get the message across about what's happening in this country. I think we can elaborate on that a little bit. What I wanted to say, I I'm, I'm, don't want to say that we are censoring the description, but, but these crimes, mm-hmm. these crimes are different than the murders that are happening in other parts of South Africa because there is yes. an element to the crimes that is so sadistic that you ask yourself what is in these people, what is motivating them, because they are they're they're literally the worst kinds of sadism and torture that are being acted out. Um, and, and that's and to make things to make things complicated, no one quite knows for sure. I don't know for sure. This is my the opinion and the opinion that many people in this country have. But there definitely is an organized hit, hit squad scenario happening on, on many farms. And no one quite knows who is organizing it, who is funding it. But the evidence is there that the farming community is being targeted by higher powers. It's not simply, it's not all basic crime, although there are farm attacks and attacks on small holdings that are local crime, you know, mm-hmm. normal normal violent crime, but not on the organized level of trying to get farmers off their property. Right. But the, but the government plays it down. They try and play it off all as just crime. I think this would be a good time, Darren, for you to talk about the man that you met when you were traveling for your work. You met him mm. at a bed and breakfast. Yes, um, his name is Petrus Sito. He's got a website, it's at stopfarmmurders.com, I think. I was on a business trip and I spoke to my, to the host 
and she said, hey, you know, this, there's this guy, um, I'm sure you've probably heard about him. He's, he's staying at my, at my, um, at my guest house. Would you like to meet him? So I said, gosh, yes, you know, I've heard about him. I've, I've seen a couple of clips of him on YouTube. I was very, very interested just to say hi, you know. So I went back to where he was and it was himself and a colleague and they were just taking a break and I got chatting to him. We didn't have a lot of time to, to speak, but the gist of it is that he used to be a farm manager and at some point in his career, the farmer that he was working for, I think they were butchered. And he, being an experienced farm manager, at least this is what he told me, had the opportunity to carry on as a farm manager but and do quite well as a farm manager. But he, he his Christian faith has driven him to to make it a personal quest to try and do something about the gruesome level of crime that's affecting farmers, which will have a negative impact on the entire country. You know, if you don't have food security, you know, that's one way to to take a country over. Why don't you get into a little bit more about, Mm. you've said that he was a... A Christian and a farm manager. His name is Petrosito. Yeah. He is a he is black. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's the thing. He he's not a, a a white man specifically trying to campaign just for a small white group. He's he's an African. He's a a, a, a black gentleman from the Eastern Cape. I think he was I think he was born in the Free State. However, um, he speaks fairly decent Afrikaans, so he's, he's multilingual. He spends his time traveling from region to region, going from anywhere where he can garner an audience, uh, church groups, uh, civic, civic centers, farmers groups, and he raises awareness, and he doesn't hold back from targeting the ANC. So um, the ANC... He can see it quite clearly that uh, the ANC are not doing a single thing to remedy the situation at all. In actual fact, the, the ruling ANC has been antagonistic to 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 farmers. Really, you know, the, the the farmers used to have a commando system, and I don't quite have all the details, but I know that that commando system was very, very, very effective. Almost like a little paramilitary, you know, like an armed response network within the farming community. Mm-hmm. And they outlawed it. They outlawed that system. When you know, was that system why? outlawed? Ah, Melissa, I can't remember. Maybe 10 years ago. I, I mm-hmm. could be completely wrong. But it was long enough ago to to think that it was around about 10 years ago or maybe 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. It was viewed as unnecessary and and the ANC sort of described it as, as, as a racist organization that was unfairly targeting black people. But it protected the farmer, and then they, they really needed that protection because they're very isolated, and, and, and the, police, the police aren't interested in, um, in those. You know, the police operate within city limits. So farmers really had to try and do something to protect themselves. They had a very effective commando system which was outlawed by their... By the ruling party within their country. In the so, United oh, States, in the United mm-hmm. States, there is there is a system 
for outside the city and in unincorporated areas that, that we have sheriffs here that do you, do you have some do you have anything um, like that at all they, they put it this way there are police stations in the smaller uh, out um, the smaller towns around the country then there are a lot of them around the country they'll have a, a small police station but they're very small and mm-hmm. they they don't they don't really have a an, an effective crime stopping they're too small they, they haven't got enough reach and a, a lot of these crimes happen they always happen in the middle of the night so the, the, the farmers though do they do have private security in certain areas I know that there are farmers are still organizing security for themselves it's more the private sector and a bit less formal but the commando system I, I do remember that commando system was outlawed Maybe the government, but maybe the ANC saw the commando system as being a remnant of the um, apartheid system, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, it could have been allowed to continue with a, under a new, put it this way, a more ethical system that wasn't associated with, with, with apartheid, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But um, when a government especially outlaws you from protecting yourself, you know there's something up. And then you take a look at what's happening around the world where farmers farming in areas that you wouldn't expect, like Holland, parts of the United States. Farmers are being targeted. Their land is, is being purchased by, by billionaires who, are, uh, who have got links, to, links with a Big AgriCorp and designs on switching everyone across to artificial meat, you know. And then you start seeing a pattern and you, you can't help but think there's an organized grab for land, for farm, for farmland. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be too far for state actors to turn a blind eye to the, to the safety concerns of farmers. Another thing that's quite interesting that I've, that I've, it, it's been going on lately is that, um, South African farmers are highly regarded because Farming in a semi-arid country like South Africa, only about 12% of the entire uh, land is really arable for farming. And the original sort of uh, settler, the Dutch settler, and their ancestors, the Afrikaners, have pulled out what you could call a, a miracle, really, by turning land that you wouldn't think possible, they've turned dry arable land and have created the food basket of Africa really uh, or what should be the food basket of Africa and what's happened is that a lot of these farmers have actually sought uh, they've, been, they've been given safe haven in Eastern Europe and Russia and the Ukraine they are, <laughs> they are South African farmers who are who have found a place to farm and live a good life again in, in uh, the Eastern Bloc I, I found that quite interesting. If you go on YouTube, you'll see uh, Afrikaner, Dutch, South African farmers in, I think, Romania, Russia, Ukraine, and who knows where else. So, at least in the Western Bloc, there's a, definitely a sinister agenda to corporatize farming. And I'm sure it's carrying... The, 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 the plans to get farmers off their land well it's, it's, it's happening in different countries but it's, it, it takes on a different look so 
you could probably say in South Africa it's the more violent method, whereas in Holland it's more based on public opinion and pushing the global warming, this and that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I think if people who live overseas hear things about South Africa, I think they should look into it a little bit more and um, put pressure on on their own governments to to hold the ANC accountable. This is one interesting thing about Petrocito mm. is that mm. that he is trying to, you know his cause is called stop farm murders but he is mm. trying to bring to Africans the awareness that the ANC is a failed government. That's that's really what it boils down to. The ANC is not the darling of the world. South Africa was sold under Mandela as the rainbow nation. And unfortunately, it's just, it, it's gone downhill uh, ever since. The ANC cadres didn't live up to Mandela's legacy. Uh, they jumped onto the gravy train and like uh, pigs in, the, in a trough have been greedily uh, consuming the nation's resources and betting a lot of your the, the, the backbone of the country the, the railway system has I think only about 10% of it remains the roads are busy falling apart the, the, the country's only um, national electricity supplier is croaking We've got, uh, we've had we, 16, we 17 years. Blackouts. Um, sorry, I interrupted you there, but we covered That's, the last yeah. time we spoke the fact that the, uh, the president of South Africa and, and therefore the head of the ANC for all intents and purposes, mm. his brother in law is the wealthiest man in South Africa and he controls most much of the energy supply for the country and he is very focused on renewables yeah he 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 is actually he what's his position i keep forgetting what it is but he um is he's with he's on the 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 the, the wef committee of some sort he's quite high up and openly involved and of course they want to introduce it's a a, a private public private partnership so there'll be a sort of quasi-governmental and privately owned or, or managed and run electricity supply for the future that is supposedly sustainable, etc., etc. And Patrice Motsepe, uh, he controls and has got most of these sort of, um, what would you call it? What, do you, what would you call it? Uh, uh, Renewable, iron, re- iron, uh, renewables? He's, he's got his... He's got his fingers in the pie, all, right. all the fingers in the pie for renewables. He, that's his business. And you can see how they funnel how through the ANC and through Sulu Ramaphosa and his crowd. Basically, they're running the country's national electricity supply into the ground under the pretense of um, cutting back on coal and switching to renewables. The whole country is suffering terribly from roading blackouts. At the same time, they're enriching themselves through the transition into the renewables. It's disgusting. And the, the thing is, is that it's, it's got so bad now is that the water supply is – there's two aspects to water supply. The roading blackouts have caused 
the pumping system from the dams. So even if an area has got full dams, the uh, water supply to the reservoirs within the city limits, we've got what you'd call like an artificial uh, water shortages now everywhere. And if if it's not that, it's the water purification plants are failing because when the power goes out, those systems shut down and they can't they can't then supply clean water from the water purification centers to the reservoirs. So the quality of the water around the country is dropping off a lot. The water supply is dropping off. And we've had a few cholera outbreaks recently. And, you know, if the, the electricity supply problem continues, that, you know, you're probably going to start seeing a lot more cholera around the country breaking out. So, yeah, we, we're basically in a failed state. And... Speaking uh, of speaking of yeah. water, we we talked about uh, a trial balloon that might be happening in South Africa because it was about two and a half weeks ago that Newsweek magazine published an article entitled "Is South mm. Africa Limiting Water for White People?" Proposal gets pushback, and you said that you had heard about this, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, but. You hadn't heard anything since, and it might be a trial balloon, but it was legislation or, or newly drafted regulations, actually, that was going to limit, mm. give give race quotas on water usage. It's so absurd that you would think it would be a joke, that it, 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 it's something that can't be. I need to do my homework. I unfortunately can't really answer you. It's so absurd, I thought to myself... This proposal could just be um, a form of gaslighting. But then again, we've had uh, legislation that they're trying to force through to to acquire land without without payment. You know, where the government can just say to you, look, we want your land and we're not going to compensate you for the value of the land. With that legislation, they could literally just take possession of your property. And I think it was under the guise of putting rural land, rural farmland back into the into the hands of the black farmer. But when you take a closer look at the legislation, it doesn't specify farmland. So if you think about the international picture and what uh, a lot of governments and groups like the WF have said, is that you will own nothing and you'll be happy. Well, if you own nothing, that means you don't own your land either. So... You know, uh, water rights are also a part of the Agenda 21. You know, according to certain people out there, uh, water is not a human right. So I think this is just a, uh, a global push to take possession of all resources and then to dole them back out to you based on, I suppose, based on your behavior and your value. One thing that you mentioned when we were speaking a little earlier was that if you combine the 17 or 18 years of electricity blackouts, the water mm-hmm. problems, the farm murders, the just general uh, crime, the the epidemic of crime, if you will, if you put them mm-hmm. all together and you have this failed state, you said it is possible that the World Economic Forum has in mind what they will roll out next. And I wanted you to elaborate on your thinking on that. Melissa, you left you, you left to remind me. Sorry. The, the young global leader. 
Oh, right, yes. Um, I, I, I was just, um, I was looking up, I think I was looking up Patrick Mutsepe and I had come across quite a few articles. I was, I was trying to see how many uh, important folk, private or public sector, were registered as WF members. And lo and behold, I see there's a guy named Ronald Lamola, a young, very young, but, you know, he was a um, young global leader and he's already got, I forget the, the pro, uh, his, his um, profile, but he's already on his second important political profile. I forget what his previous one was, but I think he's gone through the, uh, as, uh, in, in the financial sector. And so there you are, you have your banking connection already. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can you can see this bright young face, and I, I'm sure you know somewhere in the um, planning stages they, they are going to put him into the picture. Something else that people need to know about the ANC is that the ANC is split down the middle. There's two ANCs in reality. There is an ANC which is the sort of traditional ANC which is. If you know the previous uh, state president, his name was Jacob Zuma, and they are very, very loyal to, to, to Jacob Zuma, who is a Zulu. And Jacob Zuma was ousted in, in a vote, and Cyril uh, Ramaphosa took over as president. But it was seen, it, it, it was seen as, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, many coup? within the ANC saw, saw it as a, a bit of a coup in the party, where Cyril uh, Ramaphosa is not seen as the legitimate president of the ANC, because he's president of the ANC and of the um, of the of the country. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there is a faction. So there is a there is the one side of the ANC which is seen as being deeply, deeply, deeply corrupted, and there's the the new up and coming younger members of the ANC. Are wanting to root this out, and then you get the—it's more sort of viewed as the White Party. It's called the Democratic Alliance. It's uh, a strong white, predominantly white voter base. With they have got a, a significant uh, African portion, and also the coloured or the Cape Malay population. Democratic Alliance is very very strong, I think, in Gauteng and um, the Western Cape Province where Cape Town is. And they, the, uh, the Democratic Alliance, have sort of been the official opposition to the ANC. But when you take a look at who is in the Democratic Alliance, who is running the Democratic Alliance, and also the democratically run city of Cape Town, the mayor of Cape Town, is a dyed-in-the-wool WF member pushing all the United Nations projects, you know. Um, right. So they're ahead of the pack. So, you know, a lot of people are sort of waking up to the fact that the DA are no better than the ANC. <laughs> right. So I think what could happen is that it's hard to imagine the Democratic Alliance being an effective opposition that will take control of the country. I think I think it will probably come from within the ANC. I think uh, the one the one faction of the ANC will, I guess, with its WEF support, uh, come into maintain power in a very close election. But I think they, perhaps that newer sort of ANC, will join 
joined hands with the Democratic Alliance. You know, they both parties have so many WEF members, it's disgusting. So you can see full state capture by the, D, the WEF in this country, in the private sector and the public sector. That's why they boast about public-private partnership, because they've captured everything. Right. And they can just rotate people between the public sector and the private sector, and that's what you see in Canada. You're seeing it in all over, all over Europe and America. I think um, you, you mentioned to me, you, you sent me something a couple of weeks ago or a week ago about a tweet that Elon Musk had put out about Canada, which got you thinking uh, in the direction of the World Economic Forum and Young Global Leaders, if you wanted to mention that. Oh, yes. Uh, that, that really stood out to me because I was thinking they definitely are, you, know, you can see it, they are pushing people to the limit with bad governance or bad government. It's the big bad government all around the world captured by, you know, everyone's becoming, everyone's catching on to this WEF scenario and the governments are in bed with the corporates and you've got corrupt politicians taking handouts and bribes from the, from lobbyists and the corporate sector and government is just rotten and it's anti-government sentiment is playing out all around the world. And we know that they want to change the, the economic system. So they need to raise and drive the idea in the public's mind that government has got to go. And I was thinking to myself, well, if they drive everyone to, to war or to, or to riot in an enraged civil war across the world, well, that's one way that you could do it. But if you push people hard enough psychologically, just psychologically, where they're ready to explode, and then someone like an Elon Musk comes around and says, you know, we've got to get rid of government, but we've got to put in a new government. A new government, and Elon Musk is so highly regarded amongst the, 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 the new up-and-coming, the younger generation that can has been uh, planted with the idea of what the new economy uh, 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 um, universal basic income and universal basic income yes. and all of, all of that uh, technology uh, yeah. how it can change and transform he's, he's taking people the, the he's taking people to the world yeah. economic forum agenda and the green and sustainability agenda around the yeah. back door but it's but it's what, all, what, what, but he's also he's also although he's a, he's been a WF member uh, he's a young global leader himself. Although they've distanced him from that, you won't you won't find it anymore. You know I could see that the way to make the WEF puts in their own bad actors and plays them up. So I think the WEF are driving the whole thing. They don't mind sacrificing themselves <laughs> as Elon comes in and that people want a whole new thing, the bad actors that the WEF have put into the system can just be withdrawn and then they can put fresh new faces in. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing, I, I personally think, is, is driven through the WEF. So Trudeau and all the other people, if you take the Canadian situation, the, the whole government and all the parties are captured by the WEF. You purposefully run the country into the ground. Everyone blames the WEF and, and the terrible bad system and then Elon Musk comes a, a across as the hero who comes in on his white horse and 
start I don't know how they I can just imagine they'll introduce it in, in, in a certain type of way and then you'll have a switch over in government and the, the, the big bad wolf of the WEF will be kicked away and <laughs> chased off but I think that's how they'll do it they'll, they could just switch it across so I, I think so. I just looked up just now yeah. um, the I, I didn't see the tweet, but I found the gist of it in LifeSite News. It says Elon Musk mm. suggests Canada should replace Trudeau next election to protect quote free speech end quote. Well, there you uh, go. Yeah. Yeah. So so that so, tweet so that they, you saw is now going out elsewhere. Yeah. So let's see let's see where they run with that because that could be very interesting. You know, the, the, the world could go out with a bang or it could go out with a, with a fizzle. And well, and it's also it, – yeah, go yeah, ahead. I think it could be – I think it's going to be the fizzle. I think it's going to be a little – and the world will flake out and they'll put their system in. <laughs> well, do you remember – I can't remember the whole no. poem of Alan's Watts over, you know, mm. in my head. But, he, but one line that I loved was, you know, how, how does the world end not with a bang but with a – a tweet. Oh, well, a tweet. <laughs> I'll have to look that go. one up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I think it's it's looking more plausible if I think about it. Yeah. Um, people don't seem to have any fight left in them. All the fight is being sucked into the the Twitterverse. Yes. Where yeah. they 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 fight with words and with memes, and by memes and by slogans we will win. Yes. So, sort of said Lenin. Uh, so that, that, that it's making more and more sense. And especially also, if you could, go ahead. Sorry. Especially if you if you consider that people's heads have probably been worked on chemically and who knows how else. Yes. Well, you mentioned too that you know the the WEF might be sacrificing itself, its own reputation, because they're you know moving the pieces around the board in their own way, and it hmm. made it made me think that. We, we have to remind ourselves that these think tanks and non-governmental organizations, they, they take turns being the agenda setters. So the kickoff of sustainability yeah. was the Club of Rome. And that, yes. you know, the Club of Rome had their books and their whole thing, and they were decades there behind the scenes. Mm. And we, of course, had heard about Davos for years and the World Economic Forum meetings of different government and business heads. But they really mm. came to the forefront, really. It wasn't so much the protesting them at the Davos ski slope in Switzerland, but it's these last yes. three years that they've become planted in everyone's mind. And I, I personally think it's it's a game. It's a game of chess. You know, who will be the next NGO or the next think tank or the next you know policy uh, wonks the whole that that come to the front? I agree. I completely. Um, I, I, I'm trying to just uh, get, getting back to South Africa. I sometimes wonder why. I'm trying to think to myself why we're we having this conversation. And what what it will achieve? Because although your this podcast series is called Real History, it is good to hear a voice from a country that's not politically steered or or controlled. At the same time, though, there, there's something missing in there's something missing for me in the conversation, <laughs> and I, I I don't quite know what it is, Melissa. There's something more that I want to try and explain. 
a message that people in other countries must take note of. I think, you know, you, you, you look at the saga of the ANC and the violent crime and, you know, you hear small voices coming out the country trying to tell people overseas that what you know about South Africa, what you hear about from the ANC is not at all the truth. And then I was reminded about something that you said to me, that there are rolling blackouts and rolling brownouts in Canada, parts of the U.S., all over the world. But wherever you are in the world, you won't really know it. South Africa has had rolling blackouts, severe ones, for 16, 17 years, but the average person living anywhere else in the world might not know about it at all. Yet, the same thing is happening everywhere else. So I think... I think the, the, the nagging thing that's calling to me is that stop thinking local and stop looking at your government. Look at the global picture. It, it, it's a global scenario now. You need to, the people that aren't awake need to wake up rapidly and not be reactionary. They need to realize that this, what you think might be isolated in your particular area, it's not isolated. It might seem that way, but just look around. Maybe get a, um, what do you call it? Um, I forget the term now, but you can um, hide your IP address or what part of the world you are in. A VPN, from your, virtual a private VPN. network. That's it. Get a VPN and, and start taking a look at the news from other parts of the world because I think through a, a VPN you can actually see a lot more and get the international picture because each one of your your country's governments are fully captured. Most of your corporate world is captured and they are, they are stakeholders in this uh, global coup. And it's getting urgent. Another thing, I think it might be just starting now. There's something, uh, it's another WAF division. It's called the uh, New Champions. I don't, I don't know if you've heard of that. I have not, no. Just look it up. Uh, uh, New Champions, they, they were having an international meeting. I've bookmarked it in my browser. I forget where it is now, but I just saw a few a couple of years ago that the um, business news sector in South Africa was talking about the new champions within this, the South African economy. What I noticed is that you know, all around the world, there are these leading corporate businesses within countries that are driving the corporate agenda for the area or the countries that they're in. So you can see how, the first of all, the governments are getting their marching orders from the UN and from the various structures that they need to, that, you know, the, the, you have the the foreign affairs of each country, they meet up with the UN, they get their marching orders, they come back to the, their own countries, the government start implementing the various agendas, the things that they need to get done in their own countries with regards to the changes to, let's say, Roadmap 2030, vaccinating everyone, making sure that uh, sustainable energy goals are falling into place. But people must remember that it's also being driven through the corporates, and the corporates are hiding behind the big bad governments. But it's actually the, the international private stakeholder groups that are actually 
they are the ones that set the agendas and they just direct them via the governments. Um, so in, take a look at your, your countries, take a look at the new champions, you'll see that. I just pulled them up. I pulled them yeah. up on the World Economic Forum. It said the global economy is at a pivotal moment of transformation. Established business yeah. and industry models have not only been challenged by the COVID-19 pandemic, but are now being tested by a more competitive geopolitical and geoeconomic environment. How to yeah, navigate so common goals, tr- energy transition to safeguarding nature and climate. It's at the mm-hmm. top of the mind for decision makers worldwide. And the next meeting that they are having is in China, the 27th a, of June. So that, uh, oh, that's it. Yes. Yeah. Um, next week. But, but, next week. Well, what you can see is that this new champions, they so you have the stakeholders. These are the big international corporates, which are operating just about in every country there is. Mm-hmm. And they form, they create, you see, there's no, that each country has a constitution and there are laws. But when you have a group of entities, big corporates, they can actually bypass democracy by simply creating regulations between themselves about how things will be done. They'll start setting all these ES, uh, ESG goals, mm-hmm. economic, uh, what's this, economic sustainability governance. Yes. They start stepping things up. So what people have noticed in South Africa and what you've seen with Bud Light is this push for the LGBT nonsense, even at the cost of their own brand. Yes. And then there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a retailer that's, um, a, a more of an upmarket sort of a supermarket and clothing supply business called Woolworths. And, uh, they are pushing the whole LGBT agenda with, although it's far more subtle in South Africa versus what I've seen overseas, but you see these big corporate entities getting behind these international agendas, which they know most people in the country are completely offended by, but they do it anyway. But with the new champions, you can see how these larger groups will then put the pressure on the smaller businesses. If you want to be a supplier to Woolworths, then you also need to start what's uh, controlling how much plastic you use. Are you, uh, what size is your carbon footprint? Are you, are you efficient? Are you meeting these goals, those goals? So you see how it's from the top down, the pressure comes through these new champions. And then they lean on everyone below them, and, and then it's like a cascade until it comes to the the customer, you know. And eventually, it'll get to the point where the customer has to live up to certain things somehow to go shopping, or to get points, or to get a better price, or whatever it is. Yeah, you um, you made me think of something when you said we needed to expand the conversation out from South Africa and see mm-hmm. how this is being implemented. Everyone. Eat- in their own country, and you yeah. you immediately made me think of a couple of things. First mm. of all, the crime rate in the United States is certainly not low, and you it's looking worse and worse. Yeah, it is looking worse and worse. And what what you have here in this country are what you might call failed cities. So, for example, Detroit mm. or San Francisco, Seattle, Washington. Um, one, when you look at these closely, you will start to see international players or international names. For instance, George Soros has uh, carried a lot of weight in 
the d- district attorneys for various mm-hmm. cities, so they're not prosecuting crime. It started off with pickpocketing and shoplifting, but now you have uh, s- major crimes like murder not being pursued adequately or prosecuted mm. adequately. So y- you can draw parallels to your own country, and I'm sure that you you can see this wherever you care to peel back the scab. It's, it's, it's becoming too easy. It's becoming obvious now. If people cannot see it now, I don't think they ever will. Because even if you've never paid attention to the bigger picture in your life, you can't help but notice it now, surely. <laughs> and also, well, unfortu- um, unfortunately, hold your thought there, but unfortunately, one of the problems with human yeah. psychology is yeah. we have been trained early on, and it's also, too, because we're tribal, mm. where we, our minds probably are just at the point where what we like to take in is our immediate environment, our family, our town, then our state, etc. But it, it takes a, it, it actually takes commitment to see the big picture. It takes commitment to look outside mm. your area and understand. And one of the things that Alan knew when he was speaking was that he was hoping to help people generate a sense of outrage for humanity in general so that it wasn't yes. it wasn't just here where you are but if some if a people is are being slaughtered in some other part of the world you care mm. very much so that that's what this desensitization that's occurred worldwide with Hollywood and violent movies and even pornography creates a desensitivity. You know, um, with this latest LGBT thing where they have got transgender people stripping down and cavorting and teaching five-year-olds what to do with their uh, parts, you know. Think about it. If a parent doesn't get engaged and just lets it happen, deep down inside their psychology, they, they, they know that they're a failed parent. Society crumbles because people will will say to you, what right have you got to determine what is moral for me or my child, you know? And if you think of, you just go back to the individual and you think of your, your own personal morality and let's say you've had children and you've protected them and you've watched them grow and you've given them a sound, you've enabled them to think for themselves to be decent and kind, to have good morals, etc. That which you feel for your own child, you would naturally feel for every child in the world. It's a real disconnect if you have your own personal standards for your child and yet don't mind seeing your next-door neighbor's child being groomed by a, 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 a hairy man wearing a dress, you know? That's right. So there's a very, very, very strange psychology going on with this LGBT stuff. And I think as... As Alan did mention before, you know, um, it, it's to atomize society where every single individual then can be, uh, fo- the state can then focus on the individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one feels any uh, fellow feeling or uh, joint connection or tribe with anyone else. I think, you know, that's where it's all, all going. So where was I wanting to go with that thought? 
Um, I, I, I think basically a cultural degradation led in large part by yeah. Hollywood or the film industry, but education yeah. as well, oh. where oh, sorry. basically people become contaminated. Go ahead. That's where I wanted to get you. Sorry. So you break everyone down to the individual. There's no fellow connection. There's no fellow feeling with, 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 with the next person and your sense of the of your normal continuity of the past just comes to a halt and then they can switch it would be so much easier to switch everyone across to the new when everybody feels isolated and atomized and the state feels like it feels like the state is talking directly just to you and it's all going to happen through that little blue screen on your phone or on your laptop or your tablet the revolution is going to be digital that's right and you made a very good point just before we started to record you said the Internet is the new television, whether you're getting that on your phone or your tablet. Oh. Or, yeah. I, want to, I just want to, for people that are listening, you know, people think, they always talk about the big, bad mainstream media, you know. There is the mainstream narrative, and then there's the counter-narrative. But the counter-narrative is just the mainstream counter-narrative. Both sides are being controlled. By the one head. That which you see on YouTube, it doesn't have to be there. You're lucky that it's there. That which you are seeing on Twitter, you're meant to see it. And it's being shaped and controlled and the algorithms are sh- drawing you towards a new, a new synthesis. So be very, very careful if you think that you're on the alternative media. There really isn't really an alternative media. There's only one media that's once again it's like the democrats versus the republicans the media is also split into two and the psychology reaches deep into your brain and parts of your brain that are silent to you your unconscious then there's also the appeal to the amygdala to your to your emotions and to your reflexes so be very very careful if you think that you're on the opposing side you might you might not me. <laughs> that, I I, I think you're spot on there, Darren. I yeah. think what I think people get into what I call ghettos. So you 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 are mm. in an authorized anti-Semitic ghetto, or you are in the authorized white nationalist racist ghetto, or you are exactly. in the authorized anti-vaxer ghetto. These ghettos that you go into, we call them echo chambers where you find like-minded people who know something stinks and they're focused on that one aspect. You're given who you think are your champions, but for the most part, what they will just be doing is rounding you up so that they can label you conspiracy theorist or racist or anti-vax, yeah. whatever it, whatever label they want to slap on you, you've put yourself in the ghetto to be labeled thus. It's a very tricky situation to be in because yeah. if you if you then try and point out the bigger picture, then people will say, well, then what do we do? You know, because there has to be something in the material, real world to latch onto. It has to, it has to go somewhere. Does there? Eventually. That's the... That is the thinking that's, that, that's drummed into everyone because you've got a country. The country has to have 
some means of order. So that means there has to be a government that people volunteer to have the right to uh, enforce certain things. And then so it goes from there. And then so how do people see past that? It's very, very tricky. What they're going to ask you, so, okay, so I see the grand scheme of things. Now what? And it's, do you, do you see the dilemma? I do. Yeah. I, I do. I, I, I think mm. that a person who faces yeah. that dilemma mm. is very nearly at the beginning of the journey. Because because that's the moment. I mean, you and I have discussed Mm -hmm. before checking out. You've gone on to Twitter to follow the gossip, and then you check out for a while. And, you know, Mm -hmm. you go go into these places, but then you check out. And I think I I heard Alan give this advice um, a time or two Mm -hmm. where people said, well, I don't know what to do, or I'm overwhelmed, or... And he said, Mm -hmm. look... How about you just check out of the media altogether, including listening to me? How about you take a little vacation and only think of your own thoughts? People have a very hard time with that, you know, because the concept is silence. Mm. Yes. The, it's yeah, the concept true. is a, it's a diet from all media. But if, if one could do that from time to time, mm. you, you can dive into your own psyche and your own, uh, yeah, your, your own uh, you unique self, to, yeah. You have to you have to be careful and make sure that that which you have, do you, to what degree have you just assimilated it? Uh, yes. Even if it's from, even if it's from a trusted source, you can't hang on the ear of Alan all the time. You actually have to have your own thoughts and your own personal convictions, and you have to be able to defend them in your own words. So I agree with you completely. Melissa, can I, can I mention one more thing? Sure. I can't remember the, you, you brought it up. It was the, um, what was it? It was a global university, the global universities, I think it was GULF was the acronym. Global University Leadership uh, Forum. Let me look that up right now. It's uh, WEF GULF. Um, the, the reason why I asked you about that is is that people for, forget because you mentioned cities, and we know that they want to turn turn countries into regions within a larger superstate, but also you, they're going to they want to have city states, and people must go back to the WF and just take a look because there is a global network of mayors. Yes, and um, I noticed it about. 2015, 2014, somewhere around there, in my hometown, there was a, at the town hall, cities, uh, I forget that, anyway, there was a, 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 I remember seeing it, you had all these young people and they were all attending a global young mayor's conference, yes. something like that. Um, Alan and actually thought, put that up on the website uh, a few times, the, the, there's a hmm. mayor's compact which is a, the mayor's agreement, and that's international. That is, every city across the world, more or less, is impacted by that. Yeah, and it's just, it's just another lesson to think globally again. What you see happening in your country is happening in most other countries, maybe with a different style. 
And um, it doesn't matter whether you are a, a capitalist or a socialist country. It's it's a, it's. Here's my big frustration, Melissa. These guys are so good at creating outrage. They give you the good cop, the bad cop, but then they always catch people out in the middle. We don't have, we don't really have much time, but it's going to be very, very frustrating to watch people who are in a in a freedom movement or a truth movement get sucked into this into the next trap. Yes, it's <laughs> it's very, very frustrating to see it, and I'm wondering what magic words I can pull out of my hat. To try and help prevent that, because it's like a it's it's like you, you know that that symbol where you have those three legs sticking out, and, and it, it's it's a sun symbol and and they and it walks along like a perpetual circle with three feet, the three legs. Mm-hmm. It's you can see how they are just rolling along with the agenda using these different elements, and I wish I could just get a big brick. Under that wheel and just stop it. <laughs> uh, and it's because um, you can just see it rolling along. Well, um, the, all, the, all I can think is what I have often been reminding people of is is Alan's yeah. own ability to rise above, yeah. to see the big picture, and to because you mentioned uh, it was the the Gulf is the global university leaders forum so they've got the university Mm. leaders covered the mayor's compact is actually a un body but i think there's more than one of those remember Mm. that the police are organized globally under the un so anywhere you look you're looking at an organization and i i've had people say to me oh well we can still make a difference on a local level local politics local and Mm. and it's at the local level where you find the infiltration sometimes is the most intense with Agenda 2030 uh, maneuvers happening. But it's that yeah. it's that Allen direction to keep rising above and looking at the big picture because if you can continue to do that, you are much it's much easier for you to see the dialectic in action. It's much easier yeah. for you to see how you're being manipulated to go this way or that way so that ultimately you come together in the, the way that they want you for the next sheep yeah. pin which they've already yeah. built for you. See, you. you see, the one big trap where they, get, where they catch everyone out is in religion because the other things have... They're, they're associated with the... Um, is it the corporeal? The, um, that of matter? Yes. You know, they, they, they think, but, but, the, but the non-corporeal people assume that it's it, it's it's untouched by man and that but people well, must that's realize kind of funny. that <laughs> all the churches are, are captured too i yes. don't know if people because what i see i was just looking up uh, i think it's stephen c rockefeller jr uh, he was one of the um the main uh, um he, uh, you know you get the world council of churches and then you get the interfaith movement mm-hmm and people need to look at that up because there's a local little church around the corner from where I live. It's a Christian church. It's called uh, it's called Doxa Deo. Doxa Deo. I think it's something about cities. I forget. Um, I forget the whole thing. But when you look into their you look into their website and you look up their ethos or their their sort of focus, 
it's a Christian faith, but it's all about cities. I don't know if you if you're able to do it now. Doxideo. Here you've got Agenda 21 built into a Christian <laughs> a Christian church mm-hmm. with all of these. I see it there. Yeah. Let's see. I, if I if I've got the right thing, it says that they are a multi-site church with locations That's throughout it. South Africa, the United Kingdom, Germany, New Zealand, and the United States. Okay. Now click on their website, and it says God's transforming presence in global cities. This is your Christian faith mm-hmm. that has been mm-hmm. completely absorbed mm-hmm. into the UN Agenda 21 and the rest mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Global cities, it's built into your the church that you go to. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to all those people out there, and I think it's built into your mosques and your synagogues and everything else, please take a closer look at the church that you belong to and find one that is that is not tainted by this stuff because really it's 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 true uh, faith in something larger than yourself that it will it, it will be a protective force in, in in this in this day and age but if you are now trapped into one of these new churches you are being pulled along by your nostrils along all of these WEF inspired UN inspired goals for the 21st century and you don't even know it you think you're doing it for God's glory and you make it me makes think me feel I feel a bit ill when I think about that yes people being duped duped like that today their good faith and they and they they longing to to have a higher calling to do what's to have it manipulated in such a fashion, you know, it, it's unreal. I, I'm looking I, at this website right now. I, I'm looking at it too. I see their tree yeah. aims to help each school develop a strategy to be a healthy environment for the development of the next generation. You know, so there's the sustainability message for them. But mm-hmm. what you were making me think when you were talking about that and bemoaning this is that ultimately – this is a path for an individual and if yeah. you are and and that includes your faith your source of connection to something greater than yourself it has to be an individual journey if you are looking for your government to make it all better like daddy or your church to make it all better like daddy uh yeah. you're looking in the wrong place this is a journey for the individual, and when you understand that you're flying on your own, that's pretty liberating. That, it's it's it, you can get past being frightened. That that is the real, that is the that is reality. It's I, I always say, uh, reality is 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 the fact that you're it. Yes. You're it. Yes. Um, and but what people have been trained to do, or what they prefer to do is hand over what is theirs to a proxy or to a um, an agent <laughs> to, to, to do it for them to do their to do their thinking uh, and, and sometimes even their feeling for them mm-hmm. it's it's quite absurd and if you do that then any any common con artist can come along and say do this do that and lead you by your nose 
yeah, I'm just going through this website and I'm shaking my head. <laughs> yes. It says, we have a mission to positively influence every sector of society with the values and purposes of Jesus. I don't recall Jesus having anything to do with cities or anything like that. His, his uh, teachings were to do with the soul and the inner person, the man within, how you relate to other men. This here reads like a corporate slogan. You could just replace Jesus here with the United Nations. <laughs> yes. Actually, you could. We have a mission to positively influence every sector of society with the values and purposes of the United Nations. You could just, yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically, they're just substituting their own values and blending it into a church and a mosque and a synagogue near you, unless you pay attention. I think maybe a good place for us to wrap it up here. I, I was just flipping through yeah. the pages here. It, this is in yeah. um, Alan's first volume of the Cutting Through books. Mm. It's on page mm. seven, and he's talking about those who are seeking reality. They have to get rid of all of their illusions, just like a heroin addict has to smash the needle and just do it alone. You've got to say, okay, it's, it's me here. Yes. He writes, page 7, Truth is eternal and cannot be compromised. For the conspiracy junkies who like new facts to impress their friends, the armchair warriors mm. emitting bravado into telephonic handsets, and the, yeah. con, <clears throat> the conservative Christian fatalists. This may not be for mm. you. Hearing and understanding truth leaves one with a dilemma, for it demands change, beginning with you. The familiar, familiar, the familiar, the sucker, yeah. your, the sucker, your itty, and even your closest relationships may go down the drain, yet that is the price demanded in the past, today, and for always. That which is lost had no foundation to begin with. So... Um, that, that's I, 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 I think spoke. that's it. You're on your own, but it's not a bad place to be. Not a bad place to be, and work work on yourself, and don't don't be your own worst judge, and don't run yourself down. If you've got failings, keep working at it. But at the same time, you can't go passing the buck and blaming everything else. You have to actually, you have to be your own coach. Mm -hmm. um, and I think. I think maybe that's the hardest thing for people to do when they suddenly realize there's more to everything. And I think that's where, where the struggle is. Maybe that's another topic to cover at some point. Well, I think um, we should, and I, I think we should wrap it up here, but we should get back to that and cover it. I think that this will be helpful. I encourage uh, anyone who has listened to this episode to go and do some homework on the things that Darren and I have talked about because uh, this topic is uh, the, the farm murders. It's not for the faint of heart, be warned, but it is important mm. that the world talk about what's going on in a way that is recognizing who the true perpetrators are. Yes. They'd like to divide yeah. and conquer us at the lowest level of black versus white or left versus right. We need to get past yeah. that and see we, we have a common enemy. Let's figure it out and focus there. Mm, perfect. Perfect, yeah. Thanks, Melissa. S
Thank you, Darren, yeah. and thank sure. you to everyone who tuned in to listen. I was um, happy to have Darren back on, and we will speak again. Perhaps I think this fall we can come back and cover some other topics about the journey of looking inward and, and not falling for group mentality. So mm. thank you all, and I will look forward to being back next week. Thanks again. Thank you. Well, I've got something that the world didn't